Who do you think we are? By coming along this morning, what were you thinking, us being here together, what are you thinking that this is an expression of? Are we sort of like a hobby group? We're here? Because we're not here as a sporting group, are we, or a, or a club. We're not just a bunch of people who have joined together because we've got a common interest that happens to be Jesus. We're not even more like, we're not even a book club. You know, like a book club, people get together because they're reading a common book. We're more than that either. We're just not reading the Bible. It's not just that we're just reading the Bible together. We're actually here as God's church. And that's important and precious and wonderful. And it's good to be reminded of that because in a world with ever-increasing options about how to spend our time, it's good to be reminded that if we don't value being God's church, then God would say we're not valuing the right things. That's actually what today's passage is all about. I think you can see it by noticing all the picture language that God uses uh, in that part of the passage that we just heard read for us. Because that's one of the things that makes today's Bible verses pop off the page. There's all these really vivid images that are used through it of an infant and then a servant and then a gardener and then a builder and then a temple. All this picture language that Paul pulls together so as to help the Corinthians understand how precious they are as God's church. Let's very quickly see how it works, starting with the image of an infant. That's how the reading starts. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Paul opens the section by describing the Corinthians as infants in Christ, which in its context is a bit of a slapdown, because you remember from previous chapters, at least some of them are very much into human cleverness and human wisdom and being eloquent in the way they communicate and speak. Paul, however, says they're actually spiritual babies who don't really know yet how to deal with real food. That's the thing about infants and solid food. If they're not mature enough for it, they just can't handle it. You've got to wait till an infant or a baby is old enough for their system to be developed so that their muscle uh, swallowing is developed so that they don't develop allergies, so that their systems are ready. But the Corinthians, they're not ready for spiritual solids because Paul says they're still too worldly. Mere human beings, he calls them, down in verse 4. And the evidence to that is how little they value being God's church because of the way they're letting divisions and arguments split them as a church. You are still worldly, verse 3. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Now we've noticed this problem with the Corinthian church ever since chapter 1 how they're all hung up on style and human cleverness 
and how they've all got their pin-up boys who they're having arguments about. Oh, I follow the Apostle Paul. Oh, no, no, I follow Apollos. I follow, the Apo- uh, I follow Cephas. And probably what started as just, you know, quite innocent personal preferences, it's all deepened through pride and ego into these gaping divisions through the church. And for two chapters now, Paul's been telling them how dumb that is. Because A, for one, chapter one, it's not the cleverness of the messenger, but the content of the message that God uses to save people. And B, from last week in chapter two, it's not even the cleverness of the listener that matters most. It's actually God's own spirit who reveals to us the true worth of Jesus. So you roll those things together, and on what basis would you want to be arguing over human wisdom and human styles of ministry? They are not, in the end, how we are saved. And so here in chapter 3, Paul calls them out. You guys are just spiritual babies. You don't get what things matter and what things don't matter. In fact, not only do they not get how they've been saved in the first place, which is what the first two chapters have been about, they don't even get who they are now that they have been saved, which is what he's going to go on and talk about in this chapter and which is what, re- which is what causes him to now reach for a second image and that of him being a servant. Verse 5, what after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now, the word servant here is picking up the image of someone who waits on tables. Okay, So think of a restaurant. Think of the sort of person who has set the table for you before you even get there. Someone who helps you get seated. Someone who comes and takes your order. Someone who brings you your food. Someone who comes over every now and then to check that you're going okay. Someone who clears away your dirty dishes after you've left. It's the role of helping make your life easier so that you get to enjoy the meal. Paul's saying that's him. As well as all the other people who they're arguing over. And the NIV captures the mood of what Paul's trying to get at here by inserting the word only servants. Because the point that he's working towards is, why are you splitting up a church by arguing about the servants working in it? That is so counterproductive when it's the church that's actually the most important thing. That's like trashing a restaurant because you get into a brawl about the drinks waiter having a nicer smile than the food waiter. Who does that? Paul doubles down on this idea by now rolling in two additional images to help further illustrate the illustration of being a servant. An illustration to help illustrate the illustration of being a servant. He now likens himself to a gardener. Verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Only God who makes things grow. Now, touching on a few things here. Firstly, it's the idea of different servants, different gardeners having different jobs. So why would you argue over who's best? Why even compare them? They're doing different things anyway. Plus there's an emphasis on God being the one who should get the credit for the growth. Again, why argue over who's best when it's God who's producing the results anyway? We thought about that last Sunday when ultimately it's God's spirit who reveals to us the worth of Jesus. But perhaps the bigger point that Paul is continually working towards here is that he and Apollos 
They're simply gardeners. It's actually the garden that's the more important. Verse 9, for, for we are co-workers in God's servant. You are God's field, God's building. You're getting the shift in perspective that Paul is wanting them to have here? It's the Corinthian church who are God's field. They are the end goal of God's actions. And so yet again, it's so counterproductive to be quarrelling and arguing amongst themselves because why on earth would you wreck a garden having a fight over the gardeners when they're all doing different jobs anyway and in the end it's God who's giving the growth. Again, who does that? He's on a bit of a roll though. And so there at the end of verse 9, you probably noticed that he even again changes up the illustration. A second illustration to help illustrate his original illustration about being a servant. He now likens the Corinthian church to God's building and Paul being a builder. By the, grace of, by the grace God gave me, verse 10, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than that already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Again, he's touching on a few different things. Again, there's a reference to different people doing different jobs. Paul lays the foundation. That's what he did in Corinth. He started the church. But then others like Apollos, remember, they came along afterwards and built on it. But as well as the idea of different builders having different roles, there's also a bit of a new idea coming in here about how each builder will be held accountable for their work. And if a builder gets it wrong, they will be answerable for it. In verse 10, he says that each one should build with care. In verse 12 and 13, he even talks about a day when every work will be tested to see if it survives. Verse 14, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Sort of sobering verses, these. Often these verses are sometimes used to spur us on in our own personal work for the kingdom of God. They sort of challenge us with the idea of how much of what we spend our time doing will actually survive the day of judgment. How will we arrive in the new creation? Will we arrive smelling of smoke? because we've just escaped through the flames with pretty much the shirt on our back and everything else that we spent most of our time doing during the week, it just will have been burnt up. Or will we receive a reward? Which in its context is not a reference to a, a silver cup or an engraved pewter beer mug or anything. In its context, it's probably a reference to seeing people in the new creation who are there because God used us to introduce them to Jesus and to help them stick with Jesus. That God had used some of our planting and our watering to bring about his growth. That would 100% be a great reward. Imagine being the new creation and discovering all these chains of events and sequences of conversations that had happened and that God had used and of which you were a part of so that men and women and boys and girls would be spending their time 
for all eternity in the kingdom of God. That is a reward that will last forever. But as helpful and as motivating as those thoughts might be, in its context, it's important to note that Paul has very specific builders in mind as he's talking about this. He's actually talking about himself and Apollos and all the other people who the Corinthians are arguing about and splitting their church over. Because Paul wants the Corinthians to know that people like he and Apollos, they're only servants. Yeah, they have a role to play, but they'll have to give an account not based on their human wisdom, but on whether they've built on the foundation of Jesus. But the point is, they're only servants. They're only gardeners. They're only builders. It's the garden that matters more. It's the building that matters more. Which is what leads Paul to his final image, that of a temple. Verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. This is where Paul's been heading this whole time in the chapter. Why are you arguing about builders when you're the building? Don't you know that you yourselves as God's church You're God's temple. God's spirit dwells in us, as we heard last week. Why would you destroy the thing of greater importance by arguing over things of lesser importance? Get the perspective right, he's saying to the Corinthians. Wake up to who you are as God's church. Verse 21. So then. In other words, here's why I've been using all these illustrations. Here's the big point to this. So then. No more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. It's great verses. Imagine, this is to the Corinthian church with all their issues, and yet Paul still says to them, all are yours. Because they are of Christ. And Paul wants them to understand that if that's the case, what on earth are they arguing over? Why would you fight over which servant you personally prefer when you're the one being served? Why would you fight over which gardener you most relate to when you're the garden? And especially, why would you destroy God's temple by fighting over which builder you happen to like most? Because, oh my God, you're the temple. Can't you see how valuable that is? A few years ago, at an auction in California, there was a Gibson guitar that sold for $2.4 million. Now, the guitar itself, if you saw it, It looked like it had seen better days. It was pretty beat up, had stains all over the body. Sold for over $2 million because it had been John Lennon's guitar. And so its value was not in its condition. The value was in who owned it. So how valuable is a group of people who belong to the God of all the universe? How valuable is a field? 
belonging to the almighty creator and sustainer of everything. How valuable is a church when it belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And yeah, we might look a bit beat up, seen better days. We are of Christ. So who do we think we are? By coming along here this morning, what is this an expression of? This is an expression of being God's field, God's building, God's temple. We are Christ's church and we take no credit for that whatsoever. It is all of God, as we've discovered these past two chapters. But even though we take no credit for it, that does not negate the truth of how precious our togetherness is to God. And it's lovely to be reminded of that. Because in a world with ever-increasing options about how to spend our time, it's good to be reminded that if, if we don't value being God's church, if we don't value our unity and our togetherness and the opportunities that exist to express that, if, if we're not valuing that, God would say we are not valuing the right things. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you, together, are that temple. I'll pray. Father, thank you for all that you have done in saving us through Jesus. And thank you for who we now are because of Jesus. And Father, as your church, help us to value one another immensely. Amen.